So we do see in the case of Latinx populations that they are less uh, likely to have access to green space. And when they do have access, access looks a little bit different. Their parks, their trails might be unsafe or they might not be as well maintained as parks that you would find in middle-income white neighborhoods. Welcome to Rec Reflect. Oh, how's life right now? Good. How are you? Just living the dream. Um, we finished finals the week of Thanksgiving. I was done. Oh, wow. So that was nice. So I've been off for two weeks. So That's really good. Yeah. I debriefed the class right before Thanksgiving. And then after that, it was presentations. And then they have finals, uh, final project due this week. But I feel like I've checked out. I've been checked out for a while. I feel really bad, but. Oh, that doesn't make you bad. That just makes you human. I feel like every single person across education, industry, we're all at that point right now. Yeah. Um, how, do you feel, how do you feel like your faculty population has handled COVID? I have no idea. And <laughs> <laughs> I've been working from home and uh, I have not been to the office in a long time. So unless it's a meeting, I haven't really seen anyone. And it's taken down my stress level a whole lot to, you know, like faculty are always complaining about something. So I'm like, I don't even want to touch that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay. So a dean here at Angelo State told me a really good thing. He said, hey, just remember this. Um, Faculty get so worked up about so much because it all means so very little. Mm-hmm. They're like, they get mad about the smallest things and try to set fire to the university because know, someone used an Oxford comma in a policy and they're like, no, <laughs> not on my campus. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a, a president's leadership institute this year. And I was like, faculty plays such a, small role and like the whole functioning of the institution, like as a stakeholder group at the institution, I was like, I'm starting to see things like very, very differently. How so? Like what was your view before and what is it now? Well, like before, you know, I mean, as a faculty member, I think we all feel like, you know, there should be shared governance and any major thing that happens at the institution level, like we should, no, we should be consulted, you know, that sort of thing, like open communication, uh, which I think is still good. Um, and then right now, they're going to pull a program from our department, and they're going to put it in a different department. Um, you know, people feel like they're probably doing that to make more money. So I saw the emails right away, like, sent to the dean calling her a dictator. <laughs> and so, um, so like now it's like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I do think that we should be involved, but then at the same time, when we don't get our way, it's not because they didn't necessarily listen to us, but it's also because like, you know, students are a stakeholder group, their parents are a stakeholder group, community members, staff members, like there's so many other staff, like stakeholders that 
you know, people just say, well, what we want should happen because we're the permanent ones. And it's like, well, so are a lot of other people. <laughs> you know what? That I think you hit on a really good point because there, I don't want to say all professors I've ever met, and I'm a, we're both professors, but I would say that a large number of professors have an inflated ego and a inflated self-importance on like yeah. the national scale. They're like, faculty should have to run the university. We should get rid of deans and department chairs and presidents. And I'm like, we're not in 14th century Oxford and we're not in Oxford. Like we can't do that. It's, this is, this is a business and it's not a, it's also not a business. I understand like the academic side of it, but like, yeah, you gotta, like you, not, you can't a hundred percent placate faculty members just because like then, then yeah. nothing gets done. You have right. 13 faculty members. You're going to have 13 different opinions. Yeah. And then we were finally told, um, I guess a third of our revenue at the university comes from tuition and fees, and that's the highest. And then we have 10% that comes from the state. So that's 43%. So then like the rest, like they have to make it up somehow in order to function. So then it's like, yeah, they're going to take the program and put it elsewhere because that makes sense financially. But like, I understand the pressure that comes now a little bit better, I guess, of like why they push grants or why it is run like a business because you kind of have to be. Yeah. <laughs> so well, just, <laughs> I think there are a lot of universities figuring that out in the COVID era because before right. they never had money problems. Well, maybe they didn't have serious money problems. And then now most universities are like trying to figure out, especially if they're small universities, they're trying to figure out how yeah. we keep the lights on for another calendar year, not just mm -hmm. how do we get a new facility or how do we get a new program? Right. So it, it's Yeah. So I, I wanted to get you on the podcast just because uh, I knew you through uh, when I was at AM and you were doing your master's. And uh, I still remember a lot of your work uh, at the master's level. And then uh, did you do the same work on your, in your dissertation at your PhD? Similar, access to recreational spaces. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of wanted just to kind of pick your brain about access uh, to just to physical space for youth and its importance. So uh, first, uh, let me read off your profile from Clemson. EDU, it, it's a good one. So Dr. Mariela Fernandez, research interests center on the lack of access to green spaces in Latino, Latina communities. Other research activities have included projects focused on the programmatic aspects limiting Latina population at a recreation center, the development of life skills in a Latina youth and the cultural competence youth leaders need in order to address challenges arising in an increasingly diverse society. Mariela Mariela's dissertation focused on the nonprofit sector and can be mobilized to increase access to open green spaces in urban Latino, Latina community. And her future work will focus on the health and well-being of Latina, Latinos in rural communities. Man, did you write that yourself? It's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's, it's good writing, I think. Um, so it's good. But, but I mean, I, it's very evocative too, because you're, you're evoking a lot of imagery in my mind, like just, just in terms of green spaces for kids. Uh, I can't imagine, I grew up in a small town and so I had access to green space just walking outside my door and there was forest right across the street. 
I couldn't imagine what it would be growing up in a concrete infused landscape. So um, first, uh, can you run, run down the biggest points of your research in access to green space for Latino, Latina communities? Well, I think part of my work also involves kind of challenging some of the assumptions that we as researchers have about marginalized populations. Uh, specifically, you know, I do say Latina, Latino. I now say Latinx community, so I'll be using that term. But really challenging the assumptions. You know, when I read a couple of research articles, you know, some of them talk about the importance of getting, you know, African-Americans, um, Latinx populations to park spaces because as their numbers grow, you know, there's going to be the need for someone to save these spaces. And so, you know, the whole idea is that, wow, these populations aren't using the park spaces and we need to get them out there because if we get them out there, they'll start appreciating them. <laughs> And then they'll step in and they'll save them. Um, so I think, you know, at the very foundational level, I think my work does tackle that assumption. Like it's not about getting, you know, African-Americans, um, Latinx populations to love green space. And most of um, the research done, these populations have a very close link to the environment and they have you know, cared about it in a different way than white Americans. So one of the major points in my research is that these populations really do care about green spaces and they want to protect them and they want them in their neighborhoods. So in a lot of communities, specifically the urban ones, what's happening is that they are fighting for green spaces. So like you mentioned, you can't believe you know, living in a community made of concrete. Um, not only are the communities just out of concrete, but I mean, they're also contaminated in most cases. So yeah, anyone would welcome, I think, you know, green spaces that are safe and healthy and just a really nice healthy outlet to hang out with your friends and family. So most of my work has examined, um, you know, what does access look like? So we do see in the case of Latinx populations that they are less uh, likely to have access to green space. And when they do have access, access looks a little bit different. So their parks, their trails might be unsafe or they might not be as well maintained as parks that you would find in middle income white neighborhoods. Um, again, this is not because they don't like parks or they don't care about their parks because they do. Um, there just seems to be a lot of reasons why this access happens. So another major part of my research is really about understanding how communities are mobilizing to get access to the green space that they want and that they deeply care for. So I'm trying to figure out how do, how do you translate your research into actionables for people who, uh, who are rec programmers or city planners at the municipal level? Like how, how, how do we get the, the research, which is awesome and it's, it's great, how do we get that into the hands and working knowledge for the, the people on the front lines? 
Yeah. So one of the things that happens with access, for example, you know, when you ask people, why don't Latinx communities have access? You know, something that we've seen, unfortunately, in the research is also, you know, we have practitioners who, who say, well, these people don't care about the parks. Uh, we go to the parks and those parks are dirty or those parks are unsafe. So obviously it shows that they don't care about them. So why should we even continue to invest in green spaces in these communities? So I think the first um, major point I want to stress, and I think it's very important for practitioners or anyone wanting to work in Latinx communities, is that you know you really have to look underneath the surface level. So when I did my research, for example, you know let's talk about the issue of litter and the parks aren't as clean, right? So that might give the impression, well, the community doesn't care. So why should I keep on investing resources? Um, something that I did discover is, you know, some of the parks, um, and I did my research in Chicago, so some of the parks in the Latinx communities had access to maintenance, so, you know, people who would go clean the parks, but it wasn't consistent access. So when we talk about those parks that are in downtown and serve um, middle-income populations, but also tourists, I mean, there's people who clean those parks regularly, right? But then when you take that out, when you take away those cleaning services, right? It, or, and you put less trash cans, for example, yeah, it's gonna make sense that parks aren't as clean because they're not maintained to the same degree, right? So like little things like that, I think it's about really questioning our assumptions about populations. So I think it's very easy when we see, walk into a community and be like, oh, well, obviously they don't care, but it's really about digging in deeper and trying to understand why things look the way that they do. So in that case, it was a lot of the community members um, trying to ask for equitable services and equal services in some case. Um, so again, the cleanliness issue, a lot of it, again, it was behind the scenes, like make sure your communities have access to the same type of cleaning, you know, schedule um, on a consistent manner throughout the town. Another thing that I did see happen also was, you know, the community, the Lenox community wanted access to a park. So like, what does that mean? Right. So whenever people hear the term, you know, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Hispanic, Mexican, regardless of the terms, I feel like some practitioners already had assumptions. So they assume like, well, this population obviously wants soccer fields and they want soccer fields everywhere because, I mean, that's what we know about them. So the other major point that I do like to stress is that you really have to listen to your community. So in my research um, community, sure, the community did want soccer fields, but they also wanted basketball courts, they wanted volleyball areas, they wanted a playground, they wanted everything that the other parks had. So unfortunately, you know, the way that they were treated um, at the community meetings you know, the practitioners and other officials just kept saying like, oh yes, we totally understand what you want. You want soccer fields. 
So because they kept repeating that and saying that over and over again, you know, they just, be, you know, they were racist. <laughs> they, the community got very upset that they couldn't quite look past um, the soccer and that they weren't actually listening to them. So again, once you are seen as someone who's racist, of course, it's going to create challenges working with Latinx populations. So I think for practitioners out there, I would also encourage, you know, honest conversations, but also the ability to just sit back and listen. And I tell my students this a lot because when we go to our research, we often talk about, you know, Latinx populations. Yeah, they play soccer. So what I do notice is that, you know, sometimes well-intentioned individuals are like, you know, well, I'm looking at the research and it says they like soccer, so I'm going to provide soccer opportunities. And yeah, sometimes that works and other times it doesn't. So it's again taking a seat back and really letting the community take over and um, steer, I guess, the services that they want. No, no. I love that. The idea of listening more than you actually speak. I think that that's, I think just doing that in general as a lifestyle <laughs> makes so many things better. So uh, I, I, I don't know if you vibe with this, but I find the more time I, I, I listen to my students, the more I'm able to teach them better. Right. I can understand where their deficiencies are at or what they're not understanding or what they're really interested about. And so that that's really awesome. So uh, we've we've gotten all through this uh, without ever mentioning you're actually from Texas, correct? I am. Okay. Will you tell uh, the tens of our listeners where's home? I am from Harlingen, Harlingen, Texas. So deep in the south, close to South Padre, and very close to the border towns. Okay, so being so close to South Padre, um, so just as a, as a tourist, I've been there and I've taken my kids to South Padre. I can't imagine what it would be like to grow up around the area because I would assume that you would just, if, as a local, you would avoid the place where all the, the weird tourists are. Is that how it was? Yes and no. I feel like tourists ended up migrating to the area at certain times of the year. I actually had a conversation with someone earlier today where they said, oh, South Padre is well visited during the spring break period. And so I said, well, yeah, but that's kind of a month. So you just avoid it that month. Um, we'll have tourists during the summer, but not crazy amounts. So it's never, I guess, like any of other community, right? You know when the tourists come in and at that point you might avoid certain areas. Well, in San Angelo, we have, uh, in the summer, we have the, the, I think it's the wiener dog races. And so oh. it, <laughs> we, we have <laughs> nothing in comparison to South Padre. Okay. So something that uh, we, I always like to ask on the podcast is everybody that's listening to this is people that love and breathe recreation. Mm -hmm. um, so that be it being a, an educator, being a manager, being a frontline worker, I always love to ask this, what is the experience from your youth that, that captured your heart into recreation? Well, 
I will say right after high school, I graduated, going to go off to college, and I was going to go into accounting or some business-related major. And I ended up working at a travel center. So it was the Texas Travel Information Center. So the state has about 12 centers across um, just for, you know, tourist purposes. And, you know, I was just so amazed, I guess, working in that place where everyone was just happy and they were all spending their time with their friends and family and they just wanted you know, good outlets to socialize. And I think it was really at that point where I was like, I need to do this. I need to pursue this for college. And it really changed the rest of my life because um, I had gotten into UT. And again, I wanted to do business, but UT doesn't have a parks and rec program. So after that rec center, or that summer, I ended up changing, I guess, my entire life. Because then I um, ended up, applying for Texas A&M, which if you're from Texas, it seems to be a rule that you just apply for one college, right? Either you apply to UT or A&M, but not both. So I did not apply it to A&M, so I had to wait another year. Um, got into the program, and, you know, maybe it was just the way that the professors talked about parks, but I hadn't really considered parks as a thing to do, or even youth, um, before I got to the major. So I was there because I worked at a travel center, which served mostly tourists. But I don't know, there was something about the way that these spaces were described, um, that I got really interested in them. And I just kind of pursued it. And I've been pursuing it ever since. Um, now reflecting back, I guess there were experiences in my childhood and youth that might have been related. For example, um, on my father's side, there's a lot of farmers. So there's a lot of farmland and they grow. So, you know, time spent out in the outdoors in nature, it was always something that we did, but I guess it never dawned on me that you could study that, that you that it was important to study that. So I think it wasn't, um, things weren't quite clear of why I did the things that I did um, until now that I reflect back. I'm like, oh, these spaces, these screen spaces really did play an important piece of my growing up. And even like you mentioned South Padre, I went there, right? It's nature, it's outdoors. Um, but the more I studied it, I realized that these spaces are really valuable, not just for the socializing reasons, but also for what they mean to society. Oh, who do we have? We have a visitor over your shoulder. Yes, my uh, supervisor, Coral. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, got, I see there. Okay, so it's so much fun to hear people's answers. Uh, and they usually generate uh, a saying or a phrase that I didn't know this was a thing that you could get, like you could do for a job, you could do right. for a career. So yes, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, we have two things left. Uh, one thing. So my, our, our co-host, Will Doss, Will Boss Doss was unable to be here today. He had a, uh, a meeting pop up. Um, mm -hmm. So he always asks one important question. Um, do you watch baseball a lot? 
uh, are you familiar when uh, players walk up to the plate and they have like personalized music? Yeah, kind of. What What would be your <laughs> walk up song if that if you were walking up to the plate? Oh boy, <laughs> this feels like a hard question. Um, for some weird reason, I keep thinking, uh, which is it that I will survive? I have no idea why that <laughs> popped into my head. Wait, Maybe is that Whitney Houston? COVID? <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> Maybe because it's 2020 and COVID and it's been a rough year, but it, all I'm thinking. It has been. So you've, you've <laughs> been, have you been working from home since March of last, of last spring? Yes. Oh my goodness. How? First, how do you get any research done? Second, how do you, oh my God, how, you are superhuman, Mariella. No. Okay, so uh, last thing uh, I like to give the guest, if you had to condense everything that you've talked about into one point of the most important thing that somebody should take away, what is that thing? What's the last word? Listen to your communities. So there we go. That's good. That's yes. short and sweet, and that's perfect. All right, Mariella, thank you so much for being with us today. Yes, glad to come in and speak to everyone. <laughs>